0: Welcome to Daily Coast's The Brief, our weekly show about politics. Here, we'll discuss the issues that are driving the news as we fight for a more progressive America. I am Marcos Molitsis, the founder of Daily Coast, and your co-host, along with senior political writer Carrie Ellaveld. If you want to join the conversation, we record the podcast live on YouTube and Facebook every Tuesday at 1.30 Pacific, 4.30 Eastern. Enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Daily Kills, the brief short our weekly show about politics. I'm Marcos Molitzis. I'm here with Carrie Alaveld, And today we're gonna to be talking about the same topic we've been talking about the last two weeks, which is abortion rights, the Supreme Court, and its effect on the 2022 election. Two weeks ago, we had Christine Pelosi. We talked about sort of the messaging side of things. And, and the decision was hours old. Not the decision, the draft decision was hours old. Then last week, we actually talked to Christina Reynolds of, of Emily's List, and we talked about the $150 million that they are spending in the 2022 elections, along with NERAL and Planned Parenthood Action Fund to center abortion rights in this election cycle. Carrie, we've talked about how so many prognosticators have sort of written this off this election off, you know, for, for the Republicans, right, because of history, because of Joe Biden's approval ratings. And we've been saying this Supreme Court decision is going to shake things up. And it's still early, right? We're still talking about two weeks after the draft decision. We don't even have the final decision yet. And I think we're already seeing things shook up. So today we're going to keep talking about that. We have Senator Emily Randall of uh, Washington State. She represents a district she won by 104 votes out of 70,000 cast four years ago. Ooh. She represents a exurban district, so rural. There's a little bit of urban areas in there, but it's mostly an urban district. She barely won it. She's going to talk about what people are saying to her as she knocks on doors. We're also going to be talking to Matt Hildreth, who is the Executive Director of Rural Organizing. And we've had him on the show a couple of times to talk about the importance of eating into the Republicans' massive margins in rural districts. Can choice help us do that? Or is this just going to make things that much more difficult in those rural districts? So we're going to be talking to both Senator Emily Randall and Matt Hildreth. And Carrie, you've been on this beat. You've been hardcore on this beat. And I think it's, Honestly, I think it's the beat. I think yeah. this is going to decide November's election.
1: Yeah, I mean, either either this, right, ag- agreed. I mean, I, I think, you know, either this, tr- I think what people are underestimating is whether or not this will turn, you know, they always think about persuasion. And they don't, and, and weirdly, I know this is like, everybody's always like, it's all about turnout. But then you hear people, they're like, I don't know, I don't think this can trump inflation, you know, but I, I think there were people, people who show up at the polls that wouldn't have showed up at all. We're not talking about persuasion. We're talking about, you know, I mean, I do think that it will give some voters pause in suburban swing districts where they might have just said, you know, I'm not, I'm, I don't appreciate still the way the country's going, you know, (laughs) maybe I should give those radical, radical Republicans a try. I mean, you know, I, (sighs) I, I have no idea. <laughs> I can't imagine saying that myself, but, um, you know, uh, for some people, but but then they see this and they think, wait, wait a second, wait a second. What about, what about my kid? What about my daughter? You know, what kind of, you know, world, what kind of country do I want them to grow up and what kind of rights do I want them to have? I mean, these are things, you know, inflation is not forever. I'm not saying it doesn't hurt. I'm saying, like, It's going to go away at some point and hopefully Democrats can come up, you know, can can help it make it go away quicker or, you know, but but the losing your your rights doesn't go away for a long time. You're just stripped of them. Right. Um, Yeah.
0: So so to provide a little bit of context, um, you talk about about persuasion and I just want to make sure people understand that when campaigns are sort of modeling their voter universe, there's two real sort of approaches, main approaches. One, you can persuade your base to turn out. So it's persuasion. Uh, no, sorry, sorry. You can, persuade, you can uh, persuade people to vote your way. That mean not otherwise vote your way, right? That's persuasion. You, you're convincing them, oh, this person might have voted Republican, but you made that, that argument. You made that killer argument. And they're, and they're flipping. And, and, I got, and that doesn't happen very often anymore. Right. Just does not happen. The other one is sort of base motivation is you get the people that already support you and you make sure that they turn out and vote. And there's this ages old battle between sort of the consultants and activist class where the consultants are obsessed with changing people's minds. And Matt Hildreth um, is in that world, right? He wants, he wants to persuade world voters to not be like 85, 10, Republican, oh, maybe 70, 30. Right. And, and Democrats are in a good place. Then he wants to eat into that. He wants, into, he
1: wants to lose, lose by less. Is yeah, that's <laughs> those districts. Right.
0: Then so. there's the base people. And, you know, and that say, if only everybody was like Bernie Sanders, then people would be really motivated to turn out and, and vote. And, you know, but there's this sort of like which one's better. And of course, it's both. Right. I mean, you don't have to pick one. Over the other. And, and this is something we talked about with Matt Hildreth before on the show, is that it to win a b- bigger share of the world vote doesn't require Democrats to compromise their core message. That's his sort of his core argument. And it'll be interesting to hear what he says, because now if 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 abortion rights is our core message heading into November, how does that play with rural voters? And can we use that message to chip away at that sort of Republican monolith in rural America?
1: Right. So let me just talk real quick about some of the polling. Right. Just because we are seeing this is this issue and and how people are thinking about it is changing in real time. Right. Which it makes makes watching it sort of extraordinarily interesting. Um, so, for instance, NBC News just had a poll out yesterday that showed because it showed that, you know, and this is. It was it was uh,
0: Monday. Let's say Monday. So people are listening at different. Sorry,
1: Monday had a poll out Monday. You're right. That showed that what other what some other uh, polling has showed that um, there's an uptick in support for abortion rights. Right. Um, And uh, so it had it reached an all time high. In that poll, which is you want to compare a poll to its own, you know, its own polling from year to year to year. So so it reached an all time high in 20 years um, to 2000 since 2003 to 60 percent support for abortion rights. Right. Sixty three percent support for maintaining the Roe v. Wade decision. But interestingly, the number of Democrats expressing a high level of interest in the midterms, either a nine or a ten, Jumped eleven points since March to sixty one percent, right? And I, awesome. I think that is, you know, where are
0: Republicans at? Do you have that in right, front of you?
1: Well, so yeah, so they're in. They're at sixty nine percent, but they only got a two point bump since the leak. So, so their their march to now was it, they were at sixty seven percent, and now they're at sixty nine percent. So that's significantly closed that gap. It's an eight point gap now. And which is still a problem. Was,
0: Let's not pretend otherwise. It's, but it's still a problem. We're two weeks but, out from the decision. Two but weeks. it was a
1: right. But it was a double digit gap before, right. right? So, so we are seeing. We're seeing the voters talk about the Supreme Court. There's just been a collapse in trust and confidence in the Supreme Court. Navigator Research, which is a, poll, a, a progressive consortium of pollsters, found for the first time in polling last week plurality support for expanding the court for changing the makeup of the court so you know I, I, I we don't need to get into a debate over whether or not that can be done and how it can be done what it says is people understand that the court is now out of whack it's out of step with the majority and they're looking for ways to you know potentially change that that was the first time navigator had found that just like, you know, NBC was fi- was finding a record high in the first, you know, first for the first time in 20 years in support for abortion rights. You know, so it's I mean, sometimes sometimes it's not really the number that counts so much as where where the trend line is moving. Right.
0: Um, yeah, it's got to start somewhere. And we were we were we were clearly lagging as, as the numbers you state indicate. And we've come this far in two weeks. And I think that's a big reason that Republicans are so pissed that the leak happened up. They should be celebrating. Right. If they thought this was good for them, it would be. You know, it would be it would be all out celebration. But but very few are. Right? I mean, Mitch McConnell, he's still complaining about a, the leak. And that's because it just gave Democrats a heads up in organizing around right. this decision. That is going to be coming in the next month or so so we would have had to wait that month now already people are engaged uh, people are active and again we'll be talking to senator emily randall about what she's seeing on the ground in her very tough competitive district because it seems that it is definitely scrambling the race and i i I feel more and more that that if we're seeing this kind of intensity right now it's going to be exponential when the final decision comes through and then we have it's an all-out sprint Carrie. I mean, this is.
1: It's really interesting watching Republicans. I just want to mention two points uh, real quick. Number one, the Republican position is evolving. They're they're like scared of this issue. You know, initially they were like, Oh, this won't, you know, this won't matter. Uh, we're really ticked off about the leak. And then it was, this won't matter. It won't, you know, it it's not on a par with inflation. And now they're really using gentle language. Like Mitch McConnell ca- said, Oh, I think it'll be a wash. He tried to argue in an interview that supposedly this was good. He's like, this is a state level issue. It's going to make a difference in the states, but it's not going to, you know, it's in state level races. But
0: where's the Senate races fought? I
1: know. The, <laughs> exactly. He's like in the federal, in the federal. uh The whole you know, separate raises, thing. Yeah, it's a whole separate thing. I was gonna think it's going to be a wash, you know, as if someone's going to go, you know, in Pennsylvania and vote for governor, you know, Democratic governor, gubernatorial candidate, Josh Shapiro, the current attorney general. And then like and then decide. But I think I'm going to take a vote for whoever it is that wins today in the you know, Republican. And speaking of Pennsylvania. Oh, my God. OK, so I'm I could just. You know, but yeah,
0: th- th- we should have a whole ent- show on Pennsylvania. Did-
1: <laughs> that that entire so that that is happening right now today, right? That that runoff, that primary, GOP primary between like David McCormick and and uh, Oz, uh, Doctor Oz, who was endorsed by Trump, and this like up and comer Kathy Barnett, who's just woo. Um, yeah, she was, she was marching MAGA. with the
0: Pod Boys and on uh, January 6th.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, so, you know, that, that primary is happening today, but the final week of their whole primary happened in the wake of this leak, And so it became this, it became this whole, I'm more pro-life. I'm more, you know, I'm more like crazy pro-life. No one's going to get a abortion on my watch, like this race just to the right, to the hardcore conservative right.
0: And when you talked about 60 percent of Americans supporting abortion rights, did you have the number in front of you what that number is for how many oppose it? Because it's not going to be 40 percent. No, so no, it be,
1: wasn't. But it, but it was. So it, that's um, uh, that's 60. That was 60 percent support for having it be legal in either all or most cases. Um, But it was 37 percent support for having it be legal, illegal in most cases. Um, so or, or with no exceptions, basically very- somewhere around five percent of the country believes there should be a total abortion ban with no. Exceptions whatsoever. All right, so there—that's the where Republican those
0: guys are <laughs> <laughs> They found the most fringiest pocket, <laughs> and they are out there. But hey, let's mean, t- let's talk to our guest about this because okay. <laughs> it sounds like our guest's can't—you know—opponent uh, might actually be one of those people. So today, our guests are Senator Emily Randall of Washington State. She was born and raised in the Kitsap Peninsula. The le- legislative district she not represents. She was first elected to the Washington State Senate in 2018, where she won by 104 votes out of 70,000 cast. That's mind-blowing. We also have Matt Hildreth, who grew up in a small farm in eastern South Dakota and now lives in rural western Washington, I think probably somewhere near Emily Randolph, and he is the executive director of RuralOrganizing.org. Guys, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thanks for having thank us.
0: Yeah, thanks also, for having
1: for listeners, uh, it looks like Matt Hildreth has a, a drum set in the background. So at the end of his time here, we're going to ask him to just play a serenade us with a little, you know, drum, oh, drum hits
3: yeah.
0: Diana behind me. So we can, we can do an impromptu jam session.
3: <laughs> love it. Love it. I'm all for that.
0: <laughs> so Senator Emily Randall, um, Tell us a little bit about your district before we're going to talk about abortion rights, obviously. But tell us a little bit about this this incredible district that you just barely won by the skin of your teeth four years ago.
2: Well, the 26th, I'm biased, but the 26th is one of the most beautiful places in the country. It's across the Puget Sound from Seattle. You can take a very scenic ferry ride to get to our district includes the cities of Bremerton and Port Orchard and um, Gig Harbor, and then a lot of rural area in South Kitsap County, in uh, the Key Peninsula and Pierce County. Our biggest employer is uh, the government. The Puget Sound Naval Shipyard is in our district, so a lot of civilian folks working for the Navy. Um it's a, a working class district with certainly some wealthy pockets, but it feels like a, a little bit of a microcosm of the country. You know, folks in rural areas, folks in suburban areas, folks in little pockets of city who are just trying to, you know, build the best lives they can for themselves.
1: One of my uh, close friends is Joe Sudbay, who interviewed you recently. And uh, this is how I, I got a hold of of, you know, the idea, but... It sounded like, tell us what it was like for you in mid-March when you started knocking doors and if that has changed or
2: how it's changed since the Supreme leaked Supreme Court decision. Yeah, good question. So I started knocking, like you said, in mid-March, just days after our legislative session ended. And the most common issues that folks raised at that point were, you know, kitchen table economic issues, gas prices, food prices, housing prices, dealing with inflation, you know, some community safety issues that I think a lot of our communities are grappling with. Um, But it was like night and day when, uh, you know, the day after the leaked opinion, um, folks, all folks wanted to talk about was Roe. Wow. Wow. Yeah, uh, is is that continuing? Yeah, it's um eased a little bit, and it changes depending on which neighborhood you're in. Um, I think our our news cycles are so fast these days that you know the the pressure is not always as high, but it definitely has come up way more often. You know, yesterday, the day before, than folks were talking about reproductive rights. You know, in in middle or late March,
0: sure. when you talk about this, is what they're asking for. What's, what's the, what's the feeling? I mean, I mean, this is a very, this is a 50, 50 district. This is the epitome, like you say, the microcosm of America. And we are in a lot of ways a 50, 50 country. And so um are people, it does it motivate them. Yeah. Is it like an afterthought? Are they excited that the decision happened? I guess a lot of it will depend on what neighborhood you're talking to, of course, mm-hmm. but what, what is that, that, that beyond the, let's talk about it. Like what's that underlying motivation behind it? Is it, Is it getting people fired up or? yeah?
2: Well, I can say really easily, no one who has told me they're excited that the decision happened. Um, Everybody is worried, concerned, you know, they bring it up because, you know, they're afraid. Um, And some folks don't, may not have followed the state politics enough to know that this decision won't impact their own reproductive choices here in Washington state yet. But you know, folks are are worried about what happens next. Is this the only, you know, longstanding precedent that is overturned? Are there other things that they're coming for? They're worried about their grandkids, their children, you know, their family's choices, their neighbor's choices, um, hugely concerning. And even if it doesn't come up, like the first thing that people are thinking about, often it'll come up later, because I, I work a lot in the healthcare space. So when I raise, you know, issues of, of working on healthcare access, people say, oh my gosh, you know what I didn't think about when you first asked me is this, you know, row decision and how do we make sure that Washingtonians are protected. We've also seen a huge increase in organizing. We've had hundreds of folks in our district um, show up at rallies over the last week or so. And I was at an event um, in Seattle with uh, four or 5,000 people um, on Saturday who are ready to organize and ready to make this an
0: issue that changes the tide. Hundreds of people in a state Senate race are turning out to, and you're saying that they're turning out after the the draft decision. I keep calling it the decision, but the draft decision, that's what's getting them out.
2: Yeah. We've had rallies. Um, I organized a rally with some city council members um, on the Friday after the decision was leaked. There are folks organically just showing up with posters on busy street corners who are, you know, demonstrating who want folks to know that, you know, we're not going to go backwards, that this is an issue that's important to them. And it sounds
1: like they're making the connections, not just like this is an isolated decision, but that it's a decision that could bleed into other areas of lives, that it's a decision that goes directly at privacy rights that then could spill over into, you know, contraception or same-sex marriage. It sounds like they kind of have this slightly broader
2: understanding of what's happening. Am I, am I off on that or no i think that's right you know matt came with me knocking doors just the day or two after the decision was leaked and we had a couple of folks who raised that right away i'm worried about you know brown versus board i'm worried about wow. um Oberfell. i'm worried about these long-standing decisions Whoa. and what that says about our liberty <laughs> super informed
0: that's super that's,
2: i mean super informed
0: that's next layer right i mean this is okay what yeah okay abortion rights are under the gun, but they're undermining the entire rationale for those. And people are getting that. That's amazing. Matt, you've been on the show a couple of times and you've, you've made the point that Democrats don't need to water down their message in order to be more competitive in in these tough rural districts. And nobody's talking about winning them for the Democrats, but about eating into those margins that allow Republicans to offset democratic performance in in urban and increasingly suburban districts how do you see the this abortion issue playing in some of those those rural districts that you're so passionate about
3: yeah so i mean i think that's that's it's Fascinating to uh, to to knock on doors with uh, with Emily and to see the response. I mean, the 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 phrase that people kept using was slippery slope. You know, as mm-hmm. a person with a communications background, I always sort of listen for what's breaking through. And probably five or six houses. Well, one, the fact that people open the doors and everybody. Knows Emily, <laughs> and a new thing that I've seen that I've never seen before is uh, people want to talk through their ring doorbells uh, to somebody knocking on their door to talk about politics. I mean, we are at the level that people are at a Mariners game in Seattle and wanting to have a conversation through the ring doorbell about Roe. Um, so wow. I don't know how we we pull on that, but uh, anecdotally. It does feel like there's a potential for a game changer, you know, and, and with an organizing background, uh, people have been exhausted. Like the, the Trump years were just absolutely exhausting. And a lot of people got involved through Indivisible or through their local um, uh, activities. And um, you could just tell since last year, uh, people just burned out. And I think this was a, this was, I think, a real reminder of the legacy of Trump. And, um, and that's, you know, one of the reasons we are so focused on rural voters is because They just have such an outweighed impact on the Senate, which has an outweighed obviously impact on the Supreme Court, and so um, you know our polling has always shown uh, that you know Democrats are getting about thirty-five percent of the rural vote. But when you ask you know whether or not uh, Roe should be overturned, you're looking at fifty-seven percent of rural battleground voters who say Roe v. Wade should not be uh, overturned. And so those margins, like if we get to just like four high forties low fifties with rural voters, I am uh, ecstatic. And um, whether you're talking about Roe or you're talking about the the threat of uh, uh, violent white supremacists, um, rural people are so much closer to that 50-50 than they are to where the Republican position is at. So I think we have a lot of space in the margins. Um, and I think that if you just look at the energy um, that is coming from the grassroots organizing as a result of the overreach from Republicans, there's, there's I think, a lot of uh, ground to be gained up. Uh, in this do, space
1: do people understand that this is happening because of republicans i mean do they do they do you think rural r- rural v- voters make that leap or 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 not? I mean, and when you when you pulled, obviously, it hadn't happened yet. So I just I don't know what you're seeing. Like, we're all trying to gauge this in real time. Right. Which is why we're talking to a state senator who's who's, like literally knocking Mm -hmm. on doors as we speak. Well, not as we speak. But oh, that would be great. Uh, But anyway, great show. We just knock on someone's door. Uh, But anyway, uh, so what what are you seeing um, in, you know, when you look at the fallout or the reaction or whatever in terms of the rural voters, what are you seeing, Matt?
3: that? Yeah. I, I mean, honestly, um, we've done a lot of polling and focus groups and sometimes rural voters think Democrats are like, you know, hyperbolic um, and they say, Oh, that will never happen. I mean, even in, in the sort of mainstream press, we were criticized for saying that, you know, if Trump, if Trump is elected, he'll overturn Roe v. Wade. I mean, even up. Oh yeah. Several weeks ago we would, we were sort of criticized for that. So um, whether it's things like uh, what we're seeing here on abortion or, you know, the stuff around uh, uh, the great replacement theory, um, I think it's a bit of a wake-up call for a number of Republicans or rural voters that, oh, when Republicans say this, they actually are serious because they're used to it just being rhetoric. And I think there's a, a big chunk, maybe 20, 30% of rural voters who kind of roll their eyes at that stuff and think, oh, it will never happen. Like I'm not a huge Democrat fan. I don't like what you know Marjorie Taylor Greene is doing, but the Marjorie Taylor Greens don't really represent the Republican Party. So I think one of the biggest things that I've seen over the last couple of weeks is the wake-up call of like, oh, no, that when they say this, they're serious. And I do think that changes the dynamic.
0: Yeah. You know, um, God, it was a long time ago, maybe 10 years ago, I wrote a book called American Taliban. And what I would do is I would literally, I would take speeches from Republicans and from Taliban leaders, and I would strip it out of any cultural context. And I'd say like, which one is it? You know, could they be railing against gay people? They'd be railing against uh, women. And, you, you know, it was like, okay, this could be literally could be anybody. And that's the way I sort of set it up. And I got, more attacked by liberals and Democrats than I did by by Republicans, because I was being so hyperbolic. Right. And of course, now everything's not everything is playing out. And it, it sort of points to a problem that we've had. And And Senator, I'm curious if you have this problem as you talk to people where you say this is this is this is what Republicans stand for. And it is just so not believable because nobody would think that a major American party would be so anti-democracy, that they would be so anti-people's choice. I mean, this is supposedly the smaller government party who literally wants to stick Ted Cruz in the doctor's office with, you know, with you. And so, and then even issues of, of you know, great replacement theory. Are they really that, that racist, right? Uh, do you have a problem convincing people people this is actually a thing or you don't even you can't even do it because it's just so fantastically ridiculous a notion that nobody's going to believe it
2: yeah so i mean as a a candidate and a senator in my district i don't spend a lot of time talking to folks about what capital r republicans nationwide are doing i am talking to people about you know what they're how we can change their lives here, what their fears are here and what I can do to, you know, help them build the kind of future that they want. I do sometimes and talk about, you know, who their other choices. And especially when we've been talking about Roe and it's, it's not at all hyperbolic in my race because, you know, my opponent introduces abortion bans, abortion restrictions every year that he's been in the legislature. He's, you know, co-sponsored a ban on um, emergency contraception and, um, you know, medication abortion. He's introduced a hundred percent abortion ban with no, you know, cases. Um, for so he's in that 5% the, pocket. In, yeah, we talked, yeah. right. We
1: talked about that. 5% of the country. So, yeah. you know, like in one of the polls supports that. So he's, He's solidly within that 5%. Yeah. I mean, hey, I, I hate to tell you this, Senator,
2: but you're not going to be able to get that 5%. <laughs> <laughs> No, I I like to, I like to lean into the persuasion as much as I can, but there are some folks that (laughs) I agree are not persuadable.
1: Yeah. Yes. So that's the, that's the 5% he's got locked up. I don't know. I don't, is that, is that the type of thing that gets you to 50 plus one as you just get that 5% locked up and you're good to go. That's it. It's rocket fuel. From there. Just anyway, you don't have to answer my terrible questions.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So Hey, Matt, one of the problems, obviously, that, that that Democrats have in these districts, and maybe even you, Senator, can, can speak to this, is that terrible brand that the Democrats have. That's, that's fueled by by uh, the Republican Party and Fox News and talk radio and 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 so on and so forth. And so there's, you know, I, I question whether there's literally anything that can pierce that bubble. Now, of course, there's a five percent that is unpierceable, but. We're still talking of another 45 percent that voted for the Republican in this district last four years ago in a good Democratic year. Let's let's not let's not forget. 2018 was a good Democratic year. And so um, is there anything could is, you know, is abortion the magic bullet or anything else that can pierce that anti-Democratic brand to give people a second look at an option that's not a Republican?
3: Yeah. So, I mean, just to underline the point, we did some polling last year that showed um, if you put a D next to a candidate's name, you 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 lose 35 points in, in rural com- battleground communities. So it is a major ch- challenge. I actually have started looking at uh, another way and, and taking lessons from the undocumented or immigrant youth community and the gay community that one of the biggest factors is do you know a Democrat? And there is a, a, (laughs) there is a, uh, a a persuasion that comes with, with knowing people who have been demonized in the press. And I think that, um, in a lot of these rural communities, you know, uh, Democrats or progressives are told to just blend in. And in a lot of ways, that can that can hurt us more than anything. Because once you know a Democrat, you actually understand what they stand for. You, you can get the sort of long list of priorities, but also you can just know what it means to be a person. I mean, in my own family, I think when I started being a more kind of proud Progressive Democrat. I brought family members with me that wouldn't have come with some sort of you know argument from the you know abstract position. So I do think that um, if there's anything that will do it, I think it has to do with you know I there. I don't think there's a least popular thing Republicans could do than try and overturn Roe v. Wade. I mean, I really don't. There's there's nuanced positions according to the polling where they could have done other things, but doing what they did was the worst thing they could do. And I think that we will pick up. From that, um, and I think it also is that, and then on the ground organizing, getting the visible uh, progressive Democrats out there, getting people you know on the doors, introducing themselves. I think that's how you start overcoming the demonization that's coming from the media.
0: Yeah, in Senator, is there do you get a sense of any issues, whether it's it's abortion rights or something else that can pierce that bubble?
2: Yeah, I'd say healthcare is definitely one that folks trust Democrats more on, and that's you know, I don't lead with I'm a Democrat when I knock on people's doors, I'm there to hear about what issues are important to them and find where we have common ground. But when people ask me, you know, what your party is, or, you know, why are you a Democrat? I say, because when my sister was born with special needs, when I was a little girl, it was Democrats in the Washington State Legislature that expanded Medicaid and made sure Olivia could get the health care that she needed. And Meanwhile, the other side of the aisle is trying to roll back healthcare protections. And, you know, we all live in human bodies and we all need health care. And I'm for the party that's going to expand it to more people and make sure that we can afford to get the care that we need. And that, you know, is certainly true now when we talk about um, abortion protections, ensuring that folks have life-saving, life-changing health care when they need it. And that. I think that resonates with people because we've all been sick. We've all had seen high medical bills, um, especially folks in low income communities are facing those challenges. And I think it's definitely a unifying issue.
0: But is but- is that an issue that gets people that are already predisposed to vote democratic that motivates them to vote? Or is it something that actually may change some minds amongst let's say Fox news Republicans.
2: Yeah. So, you know, our, our state, we don't have party registration unless you're voting for, you know, in the presidential primary. So a lot of folks proudly don't identify as one party or the other, you know, the folks I'm talking to at the doors may, I, I'd say there'd probably a higher number of people who identify as libertarians than there are, you know, folks who identify as one party or the other. Um, we've got a lot of folks who say they're an independent Democrat um, you know, a lot of self-identified moderates, folks who are ticket splitters, people who make decisions based on the issues. And I think that's important. It's certainly important in the way I represent my community, where I find common ground on issues. I think it persuades people to turn out and vote. And, you know, maybe they'll vote for a down-ballot Republican and me, and I'll take it. You know, I want to make sure that I'm doing the best I can to Represent my community in a way that makes people's lives better and isn't just partisan.
1: What What do you find your GOP opponent is emphasizing right now? And and has he uh, been talking about abortion since this since this you know leaked news, or has he been ducking for cover?
2: Yeah. So uh, protecting first responders is his uh, number one message. What he has done to do that, I'll you know let folks research, but. In fact, when he was asked by our local newspaper for a response on, you know, the abortion rallies um, that were happening around town, he says the Republican Party has long been the pro-life party, and that's why I support first responders. Hmm. Sounds like someone who <laughs> doesn't particularly left turn in that pivot. Does,
1: <laughs> doesn't particularly want to talk about the issue. That's what that sounds like. <laughs> Back to first responders. I support them.
0: <laughs> wow. But it actually really speaks to just how un- they're not on, they're on shaky ground. It, it is really the dog that caught the car, doesn't know what to do with it. And even in a, a district where presumably there's a big rural population that would be more on the um, anti-abortion rights side, that they're not pressing the advantage. And, and, We're definitely seeing this at the national level. I'm really surprised to see it at at a district like this one though.
2: Yeah. I think, you know, our rural communities, I think a lot of people in our rural communities know someone who's had an abortion, you know, who had, um, an unexpected pregnancy themselves who didn't have the money to afford to have another kid. You know, a lot of folks are making the best decisions for themselves and their families, and maybe in our rural communities, people talk about it less, you know, maybe you're less likely to open up about this particular personal health care decision you had to make that was right for you and your family and your economic future. But we know the data shows us that, you know, one in four people, one in four women are going to have an abortion or no, and we all, more of us know people who have.
1: You know, I had a quick question. I I just want to comment real quick on that and say that has always been one of the challenges. I think for the abortion rights movement is that people don't readily want to talk about this. And one of the you know sea changes in the LGBTQ movement was that people came out and kitchen to their you know friends and family and kitchen table conversations around the country, um, and and we saw that change. You know the trajectory of the issue. Um, over the course of a generation, basically. But, um, you know, it's interesting to hear Matt talk about Democrats and and people who don't know a Democrat because they're just blending in 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 rural areas of the country. Matt, you know, I I wonder um, whether or not you think there are things, I mean, I feel like this seems like an issue that we want Democrats at the federal level to be um, pushing because we would want other Republicans, I mean, we would want, you know, Republicans in their districts, like who are running against the senator here, to have to grapple with it, right? Have to grapple with this national conversation. And I wonder what you think would be a, a potentially worthwhile uh way for Democrats to push this at the federal level. Or do you disagree with me? I mean, there's there's this question about You know, uh, is it is it worthwhile to have these messaging bills? Right. These uh, these bills that like the Senate just took this vote on codifying Roe into law. Every Republican uh, senator voted against it. Um, All but one fifth, all but one Democrat voted for it. Um, you know i i wonder if it would be worthwhile to have a messaging bill um, and i don't think messaging bill kind of does it justice but where we tried to codify protections just in the cases of rape incest and life of the mother and get de- get republicans on record you know voting against that bill because that's something that that is a position that the vast majority of Americans agree with is that people should be able to make those health care decisions in those situations um, so i just wonder what do you think are the best ways to try and push this conversation at the federal level so that it stays top of mind for both voters and Republicans in the in the down ballot races have to sort of deal with it?
3: Yeah. So I think um, I think anything that shows how serious republicans are about what they're saying is is a good strategy. I mean, I, I would leave the specifics up to uh, <laughs> to the people who know the ins and outs of, of the policy and 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 what risks are worth, you know, taking and all that kind of stuff in terms of the strategy, but just in terms of where voters are at, I think the biggest struggle we have is there's a there's another dynamic that like when republic when Rural voters hear about something good in their community; they think it's Republicans. So we're we're struggling with this with ARPA, where, where actually all this money is coming in, historic amounts of money are coming Can into you rural communities. Oh, the American Sorry. Rescue Plan Act. Yeah. So um, you know, with 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 the rescue plan, uh, there's more money coming into rural communities than we've seen in a generation. But if you ask rural voters, where that money is coming from, a lot of them just assume it's Trump or they they assume it's something their Republic, Republican governor did. So we need to be able to uh, talk to voters and I, we will never win Fox News watchers, Fox News Republicans. I mean, that's yeah, not God. who we're, we're, we're focusing under 40 for women, under 35 for men in rural communities. And these are people that we're, you know, they're, we're not trying to persuade them about Fox News. We're trying to persuade them um, about you know, caring about politics and and that that the decisions that they make about whether or not to vote will have an impact on their daily life. So, um, so we need legislation that that reinforces that reality and actually shows where people stand. Because if you talk to members of Congress, they're so good about nuancing their position. Well, we can't do this, we can't do that. But until you get them on the record with a vote, it's really hard to to, to nail them down. So, I do think. Uh, leaning into this, I think um, being strong and kind of bold in where we're at, I think is, is a smart strategy. We have an opposite problem. I think actually Republicans have that 5% that they keep catering to. Sometimes Democrats cater to a 5% and that 5% tends to be a little bit more of the donor class or sort of yeah. the corporate Democrat yeah. who is more, you know, more concerned about. Um,
0: I was wondering where you were going with that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: liberals
3: they're horrible (laughs) yeah no but it's it's it's, there is a there is a pundit class of democrat that loves talking about rural voters and has never lived in a rural community never experienced rural life and they don't understand that progressive policies are actually very very popular especially anti-corporate progressive policies and so the watering down that happens with the message is hurting us on both fronts because we're losing on the brand the brand ID we're losing on the democratic brand, which people don't like. And then we lose on the policy, but you know, because they actually like our policies, but they don't see Democrats pursuing those policies. So we turn into the situation of where we're kind of all talk and no action and we lose people on both fronts. So I think that messaging bills are smart. I think that doing it here is especially smart. And I think that um, I'm really hoping that we see some action on it.
0: So Senator, I mean, it's actually that same question, but, but in, in Washington state itself, I suspect people are more plugged into what's happening in DC to the extent that they're plugged into anything at all than maybe what's happening in uh is the capital of Washington Spokane Olympia Oh, <laughs> oh man how embarrassing is that
3: Spokane wishes
0: But, <laughs> <laughs> but um, so is is are are people is there anything you can do in Olympia itself? Cause we have a, a, a democratic legislature and a democratic governor. Is there anything on that front that penetrates into a district like yours or is, is, is it mostly what's happening in DC that, that people are listening to?
2: No, I'm um, folks are definitely persuaded by the policy that we've been pushing in, in Washington, as we so often call it, that, mm-hmm. You know, to the extent that they learn about it. And some of our data shows us that people are more tuned in this last session than they have been you know in previous sessions about the policy you know that's that's being passed. Certainly about abortion rights. You know, we, when people hear and learn, they're really excited that Washington has taken every step we can over the last four, five years since we retook the control of the state Senate to protect access and strengthen access to abortion. We passed a big policy this year that, you know, continues to protect providers, protect folks who are assisting people in accessing abortion. But we have, you know, more to do, definitely. And an issue that's a really important to my neighbors is, um, access to secular healthcare in Washington State. We have one of the highest concentrations of Catholic affiliated hospitals in the country. Huh. Um, in my district, in my county, in Kitsap County, you have unless you are um, have access to the naval hospital, you don't have access to secular hospital beds. The only abortion clinic is a Planned Parenthood clinic that serves not just our county, but multiple counties around the area that um, don't have any other access. So, you know, I have a policy that I've worked on the last couple of years. We haven't passed yet that gives our attorney general review authority for mergers and acquisitions. Um, It's not just about access to secular care, but it's definitely about access to secular care. It's also about, you know, the cost that's being driven up for consumers when, you know, big conglomerates are acquiring healthcare facilities and making decisions, not about local patients, but about, you know, their bottom line. And so that's one that's really firing people up to make sure that we are ensuring access to care, not just legal, you know, right to care, but real access in our communities. And there's also been some conversation when we talk about messaging policy about a constitutional amendment to, um, protect access and ensure access to reproductive health care in Washington. Would that go um, to the voters? That would have to go to the voters. Yeah. Yeah. Well,
1: that's, that's a good that, would be, that, that would be, that. I was going to say, that was seems to me like it would potentially drive out uh, voters if that were on the ballot. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So um, M- Matt, what's, what's your overall, how are you feeling about the midterm elections Um particularly in your sort of world in that, in that rural space, is there actually, I mean, obviously there was this this fear that democratic performance would be going down. There's sort of evidence that that's increasing, including, you know, your anecdotal underground reports from, from the senator's district that people are getting fired up. Do you get any sense that Democrats are making gains in rural areas or is it going to be, we just, we're going to have to really get our base out in urban areas, convince those fickle, college-educated suburban white women to vote Democratic and then hope that maybe Republicans don't turn out in numbers they've been in areas. That, that's that been the last several cycles. Um, can we break out of that cycle?
3: This yeah, second? so uh, first of all, I think it's a both-and strategy. So I think first, absolutely, we need to turn out the base in urban areas. So I will never advocate for a, a rural exclusive or rural-only strategy. I think that that's just, you know, goes against, you know, any sort of strategic look at the numbers, but also just I think Anytime there's an uh, urban-rural divide, I think it 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 really just hurts, you know, both communities. So I think we need a both-and approach, and I think that that's something that I have seen. Um, and and for me specifically, that's looking at the rural piece of that strategy. I think there are some members of, of of Congress that are taking a new approach for rural communities, not just doing the sort of what would be called the big ag strategy, uh, focusing on you know, frankly, the farmers who have. Uh, millions and millions of dollars of equipment and, and land, but actually f- focusing on the real rural America, uh, which is you know um, heavily focused on the service economy, and it's, it's, it involves a lot more uh, people working in education and healthcare, and it's, it's much more diverse than I think people really realize. There's actually more uh, farm workers than small family farmers in rural America. So there are some Democrats that are starting to understand, I think, what I would call a more accurate picture of rural America and you're starting to see that uh, with legislation. I think it it feels sometimes like it's l- too little too late. So I, I do wonder how much of this is going to be impacting the 2022 cycle. And I, I try and remind people it took 30 years to get into this this mess and we're not going to fix it overnight. But um, I'm starting to see a new approach, a new paradigm, a new focus from Democrats. Um, and I think that that's the the really exciting first step. But we absolutely <laughs> need to be turning out the base. And the last thing I'll say about the suburbs, because I think there is some focus on the the suburbs, the suburbs are changing. So it's not just that white people in the suburbs are making, you know, changing their mind, the suburbs are becoming more diverse. So I do think that there's a lot of opportunities in the suburbs as well, especially among younger voters and voters of color.
1: Senator, can I ask just, uh, I think we're gonna have to let you go soon. But can I ask one last question? Does it help for you, uh, help you to have the Democrats at the federal level do anything in particular? What would you like to see from them? Or does that not impact your uh, state level race very much?
2: Well, I think folks are are certainly tuned into what's happening at the federal level. You know, people are much more likely to see those news headlines than, you know, things that we do um, more locally. I feel really lucky that we have the champion that we do in Senator Patty Murray. You know, she has long been an advocate for strengthening reproductive rights nationwide and... Has worked hard, you know, here when she was in office locally too, to be a champion. And while I was certainly disappointed in the vote on the Women's Health Protection Act, we sort of knew it was coming, and now we've got folks on the record. I think the more that they can fight for the rights that we all deserve, the better. And I'll be focused on what we do here locally to make sure that people know about the protections that we're passing as well.
0: <laughs> Senator. Since we're out of time, what can people do to help you win your race? And, and and how far away are you from Seattle? So people that may not otherwise have something going on may be able to drive down and help you out.
2: Yeah. So we're... um about an hour drive from Seattle. Oh, totally an easy. hour slow ferry ride. You can take a fast ferry too on the weekdays. And it's beautiful. Hour, the, it's a beautiful on. ferry. Yeah. Beautiful ferry ride. Sometimes you see a whale. Sometimes you see a submarine. Oh, um, cool. <laughs> so, cool. It's always interesting. So you can visit our website at electemilyrandall.com to sign up for volunteer opportunities to, uh, you know, kick us out some cash if you can afford it. Um, follow us on social media at Emily Randall W on all the things, the Twitter, the TikTok, the Facebook, the Instagram, and um, would love to take you out and knock doors with me. Matt can attest I'm a a fun walking buddy. And um, it's really interesting when you get into conversations with people, you know, on their front porch about, you know, you often have more in common than you
0: thought. That's awesome. Matt, same question for you. What can people do to help you achieve your mission to get to eat into those Republican margins in urban districts?
3: Yeah. So, I mean, first, you know, support strong local candidates, I think is uh, the the first thing. Um, And uh, you can find our work at ruralorganizing.org and we're on Twitter and and Facebook uh, with uh, the rural organizing uh, username. So we'd love to connect with people there, but I do have to say, you know, we're a national group. We do a lot of work on the national level. Um, It's very important to get involved locally. And I think especially your point about if you're in Seattle, uh, you know, kind of going out to the surrounding areas, but that's true across, you know, kind of all the major metros. Yes. Um, there's a lot of people uh, on the outskirts of town, I think that would really appreciate the help.
0: Yeah. And, and even outskirts of, of of states, I always say, like, if you're in Chicago, there's a lot going up in Wisconsin, you know, I mean, you might want to take a trip up there and help out. Um, absolutely critical for everybody to be engaged. And I think almost everybody has or, a race within a, a, an hour drive. Oh, New, New York, York, they you, can
1: go to Pennsylvania. I mean, I, I did that when I was there. or I covered covered people who did that. Yeah.
0: You're in California. You got Arizona. You got Nevada. I mean, we everybody's got something nearby that they can actually um, go out and help with Senator Emily Randall of Washington State. Thank you so very much for joining us. Matt Hildreth is the executive director of ruralorganizing.org. You guys are amazing. You're doing God's work. Thank you so much. Gary. Um, That gives me hope. That gives me hope. Yeah. I mean, And not just that people were plugged in to the draft decision, but that they understand that it's not just about abortion rights. The abortion right. rights issue, I never want to minimize how important that is. Right. But this is a decision that assuming it stands and all indications are that that um, Alito has the votes to let the legal underpinning survive. That means that that gay rights are on a chopping block, access to uh, contraception, even laws banning interracial marriage could be upheld yeah. with his reasoning. And then there's even the even broader picture where Alito says that uh, this is not a real right because it did not exist when the Constitution was was written. So basically, he's saying unless you're a white male property owner, you do not have any rights. And now he does say if you don't like it, you are allowed that you can vote. Like he comes out and he literally says, Oh, because he's sensitive to the idea that he's a man taking away a right from women. And so he's like, well, if women don't like it, they're 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 more than capable of voting. And I think we really need to make sure that people understand that invitation and graciously take it.
1: Absolutely. Cause I've always up. wanted an invitation from Justice Alito to get to the polls. And I've been waiting for years. And now I get to make good on that. I get to make good on it. Um, you know, I think one thing that um, that Matt brought up that he has he was hearing is the slippery slope argument in terms of messaging. You know, I not yeah. just Now people were actually using that phrase. He was saying Mm -hmm. that they were using that phrase. And I think that's really interesting because slippery slope is something that everybody kind of understands, you know, and, and, that they've the the right has been using it on certain issues like uh, the Second Amendment and and gun rights and whatever forever. I mean the NRA is big is the biggest slippery slippery slope you know pusher. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, in America probably. But but yeah, hey, look if if we if if it comes if it's time for us to turn that phrase around and use it for you know use it for good uh, rather than you know try to. Push more Second Amendment rights so that people can get slaughtered across the country, which, by the way, is uh, you know huge topic uh, yeah, recently. Yeah. I mean, it's just like unbelievable. Um, and uh, yeah, I just want to. I just let's just, in fact, let's just pause for a second um, to have a moment for all those people in um, uh, at at. What it was called in, uh, in top, Buffalo,
0: in Buffalo, yeah. New
1: York, the top and, supermarket, and in
0: Southern California, too.
1: Yeah, in Southern California, too. Uh, let's just pause for a second. I mean, that just listening to those folks, um, you know, I listened to some interviews, it's just uh, dreadful, but anyway, I, I, um, you know, I, I think this slippery slope argument is is uh, is a good one on abortion because that's exactly what it is. This uh, the way that opinion was written by Leto, it is absolutely a slippery slope into all sorts of privacy rights. Um,
0: yeah, and I'm I, and I'm I'm frankly I'm surprised people get it. Like she didn't have I, to make the argument. People instinctively understand what's yeah. happening. And so it gives it gives again, it gives Democrats, like we said, they're pissed off that this thing was leaked because it gives Democrats an extra month to organize around it and to test different messages and to see just how people are going to react and uh, adjust our campaigns accordingly. Um, Carrie, we have to oh, go ahead.
1: Well, I just want to bring up one thing that I wrote on last week, which is, you know, the, uh, one thing that's going to happen is once this decision comes down, then there's going to be this, the, you know, the, immediately a number of, of, of uh, at least a dozen or more red states that will have, you know, huge, that will have very radical bans go into uh, place. And some of those, well, immediately, immediately. I mean, there's like, there half the nation is going to have a states that are going to have immediately bans go into place, but some of them are going to be more draconian than others. And some of those, uh, attorney, gen- attorneys general and in, in the red States are going to go after, they're going to try to, you know, punish. They're going to try for, uh, on, the, uh, people mm-hmm. for getting abortions, for performing abortions. And I just want to, uh, Politico political morning consult, uh, pulled this last week. And here's how that goes over with the electorate. Um, Prison time for women who get abortions is supported by 16 percent of people with 73 percent opposing fines for women who get abortion supported by 22 percent of people, 66 percent opposed. Prison time for doctors who perform abortion, 22% support, 68% support, uh, 68% oppose. And fines for doctors who perform abor- abortions, this polled best, this was their best, was 29% support. Not even 61% a third. Oppose, not, e- not even a third. So uh, this is when when this happens, and it is going to happen, there's going to be these this slew of stories across the country about criminalizing abortion also some very heart wrenching stories about people losing lives and things like that. And this is not, it's going to get worse um, unless a bunch of red state attorneys general decide we're not going to uh, we're not going to enforce these right away, which I highly doubt that's not going to happen. There's going to be horrific stories and they're not just going to be local that, you know, it's, it's going to be a whole, it's going to be a, just a cascade of, you know, they always say in journalism, the story is never dog bites man. It's man bites dog. Right. And all of these stories that are going to come out are going to be of the nature of man bites dog cascading on and on about abortion for, you know, months to come. And that is, that is going to harden public opinion and people's will to go to the, to the polls in November.
0: Yeah, you know, it's really interesting that you brought that up because uh, I have in front of me a sort of messaging memo from the uh, Democratic House Pro-Choice Caucus. And one of the things that they're saying is don't talk about back alley abortions. Don't talk about coat hangers. Talk about criminalizing health care. And that poll is exactly the reason why um, criminalizing health care viscerally. Upsets people, and remember, a big chunk of Republicans say they're Republican because they're small government conservatives, right? And by criminalizing health care, you're literally inserting government in people's private decisions. Also on this list, two more two more um, bullet points that I think are, are um, kind of interesting is instead of saying choice, ironic from the pro choice caucus, instead of saying choice, talk about decision. It's not a choice. It's not. A, it's a decision. It's not a choice if you're on top of a building to jump off or not. That's not. That's not a choice. Um, these are situations that women are, are are forced to make a decision that that can be very very difficult for many. And and so, um, choice makes it, it sort of trivializes it. Ah, it's you know blue or red this morning. Should I dye my hair you know green or or blonde? No, it's not a choice. This is actually a momentous decision. And and so it's a decision between a woman and her doctor. Um, Republicans want to criminalize that. And they also say, don't talk about unwanted pregnancy. Talk about unexpected pregnancy, because uh, nobody willfully gets unwantedly (laughs) pregnant, right? right? I mean, it's just like, oh, it's always, oh, shit, in those situations, right? It's like unexpected. And so you're forced to make a decision between you and your doctor on how to proceed, and so it, it's, it's there is an irony to the pro choice caucus saying, don't don't, you know, <clears throat> don't don't call it choice anymore. But it sort of makes sense. And, you know, that they poll tested this, they the focus group tested it. And and some of these like criminalizing healthcare clearly, I mean, it, it's it's just so polls remotely off the charts. But talking about talking about um, Ted Cruz being in, you know, being in that room with you and your doctor. Right. That's powerful yeah. stuff. Right. Nobody inserting wants Ted himself, Cruz anywhere.
1: Right. He's inserting <laughs> your, himself into your family's uh, decisions. Yeah, that's exactly Ted Cruz.
0: So that is all the time we have today. Um, I really do think we're going to be talking about this issue quite a bit, Carrie. It is it is critically important as a right. And it's going to have, I think, a big impact on this election in ways that I don't think we fully quite understand yet. And uh, everybody who's listening, all, you know, read Carrie Alibell at Daily Coast because she is doggedly covering this story. I think it's the story of this electoral elect, uh, electoral cycle, and uh, will probably decide who has control of Congress. And who has control of Congress will decide not just the abortion issue, will decide whether we have a functioning democracy moving forward. So, incredibly important. Carrie, thank you so much for always being the best co-host. Thanks to the whole brief team. Uh, Paul, Walter, Kara, um, Dorothy, and um, Carolyn for, for all your work to make the show run. Thanks to our guest today, Senator Emily Randall of Washington and Matt Hildreth, Executive Director of RuralOrganizing.org. And thank you, our viewer listener, for joining us this week to talk about these important issues. Our democracy at stake this November. So glad that you're by our side in this fight, existential fight for our American democracy. Thank you so much. See you next week. Thank you for listening. If you're enjoying the show, give us a rating wherever you get your podcasts. You can always talk to us at DailyCoast.com or on Twitter at DailyCoast. See you next week.